It was about 33 years ago that I was first introduced to devotion to St. Joseph. Our then new pastor, Father Marcone, had begun the first annual novena to St. Joseph at our, our parish. And at the time, I didn't know even what a novena was, let alone why we would have any devotion to St. Joseph. I remember very early on Father Marcone explaining that if we asked for St. Joseph's prayers and intercessions, that his prayers would never fail. And I know in my own life over the last 33 years, how many times that's proven true and how that's very much been the case. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. I think it's important to remember a few things. First and foremost, is to never forget it, that it, it's our all-good, all-loving, all-powerful God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who is the one who answers the prayers. Whenever we honor a saint, whenever we have a, a novena and honor them, we're seeing what God accomplished in the saints' lives with their cooperation and with his grace. We're looking to the saints as an example, as a mentor, as a guide to help us in our lives as we continue to face spiritual battles and temptations, whether to conform to this world or to, like they did, strive for holiness. So the saints are this mix between an inspiration and being like a coach for us, as well as someone who's in heaven, who's in God's presence, who's free from all the distractions and temptations of this world and can intercede and pray for us almost more purely. So all that being said, though, it's kind of interesting to think about why we would look to St. Joseph as a mentor, as a guide, as an intercessor, as a friend. Because sitting back there 33 years ago when we first learned, or when I first started going to this novena, and I knew very little about St. Joseph, I remember as all those talks were unfolding, it seemed like every night of the novena, each priest emphasized that they didn't know much either, <laughs> starting from the most obvious fact that that is so little is recorded about Joseph for us to reflect on, to the point that he would almost seem like this unlikely choice of saints for us to go to compared to so many others. When you think of like the spiritual masterpieces that were written by a giant like St. Augustine or St. Teresa Lazou that you can just read a few sentences of theirs and that can cause deep reflection. Devotion to them would definitely be understandable. Or when you think of a, a saint who has these detailed biographies of how their lives so imitated, like, so imitated Christ, like Francis of Assisi or St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, wanting to spend time reflecting on their examples recognizing all the challenges that they encountered in their lives and how that gently challenges us. Prayers to them would make sense. You even have the dramatic, selfless, sacrificial imitations of the martyrs like St. Damien of Molokai, who served the lepers in Hawaii and contracted the disease of leprosy and died of it himself, or someone like St. Maximilian Kolbe, who died in the Nazi concentration camp. 
all of them could be understood as worthy of our attention. You find praying with them beneficial and fruitful in all kinds of ways. But St. Joseph, so much is missing for us to cling on to. We have basic biographical details. We know his family lineage comes from the line of King David. We know he was a carpenter or rather a craftsman since he probably wasn't limited to simply woodwork. But there's precious little known outside of those details. We don't know when or how he died. We don't know where he was buried. And much is made of the fact that there are no words of his captured in scripture. When people first learn that, that he's never quoted in the scripture, it comes as a bit of a surprise. I think for most of us, we think that can't be right. I remember thinking that 33 years ago when I first heard a priest say that. Most likely because we have these remembrances of our scriptural stories and maybe mixed with our imaginations. But it's true. All those speakers are accurate. We hear about Joseph in Scripture, but we never hear from him in Scripture. And for some time, I kind of found that frustrating. But what I wanted to kind of meditate on, on this seeming silence of Joseph, and letting that speak to us, because the more we can reflect on that, we can really hear from him. We hear how he testifies how God works in amazing, unconventional ways in a particular way through this humble servant. And how his lack of words invites us to go deeper. Recognizing that just because St. Joseph isn't quoted doesn't mean that he never had something to say, that he didn't ever speak. And more importantly, that he doesn't continue to in his own unique way, which can provide a lot to reflect on. Because it's important to remember that when we approach Scripture, just as important to what is said, the seeming silences, the unspoken, are also important. Joseph not being quoted doesn't mean he was a mute or that he was somehow rendered speechless, which does happen in Scripture, and one of the most dramatic examples of that helps to make this point. In the Gospel of St. Luke, we hear a story that is parallel to the story of Jesus' earthly origins. Most of us can remember the story of the Annunciation when the angel Gabriel announces to Mary that she would conceive and bear Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. The parallel is a, a similar visitation by the angel to St. John the Baptist's father, Zechariah. Zechariah was this Jewish priest, and the angel Gabriel tells him that his wife, in her old age, was having their firstborn son, and their only child, John, who would be the prophet preparing the world for Jesus. Now, mind you, Zechariah, this holy man, who would have known and studied scripture, he only had one job, and that was basically it, which means he should have been very well versed in all that God was capable of. How many times and in how many ways God had intervened in the life of the Jewish people? 
How now for centuries the Jewish people waited in silence with there not having been any prophetic words uttered to them. But there was still that hope that God was going to come to save his people from the serious mess that they had made in their sinfulness and their disobedience over, well, the entire history of humanity. So here in Zechariah's in the temple at this time that this conversation happens. And yeah, by the way, even more obvious, again, he's having this conversation with an angel. But what's his reaction to the news? He speaks words that convey a lack of belief, a doubt that's almost blasphemous, almost. So what happens? The angel shuts Zechariah's mouth before he continues down that track of unbelief. Zechariah's tongue will not be loosened until the birth of John the Baptist. That strikes me not so much as a punishment to Zechariah as more protecting his wife, the expectant mother Elizabeth, in the intimacy of her body and soul as she nurtured and loved John in the womb. God didn't want Zechariah's doubts and his unbelief to undermine her, her joyful anticipation, how her heart had already swelled at what was happening in her life for the people of Israel who had long awaited the coming of the Messiah, for the entire world and the history of humanity, desperately in need of a savior. How the longing in Elizabeth's heart over the years for a child would be met and surpassed by John the Baptist's coming who would become such an important figure answering those greater longings and those universal longings. Zechariah's silence protects her from his sowing his doubts and fears and also causes him to stop talking and listening and remember what God is capable of. This all sets the scene for St. Joseph. St. Joseph, on the other hand, at the beginning of the narrative of Jesus' birth, the scriptures paint a scene that's profound where Joseph says so much without a word being recorded. We know, unlike Zechariah, he's not an expert in Hebrew scriptures, but he's a convicted, faithful Jewish man who knew those scriptures most importantly in his heart. Unlike Zechariah, who's a recognized authority figure commanding respect and authority among his fellow Jews, Joseph's a simple man, a transman, a good Jewish man trying to make ends meet. But probably not recognized beyond his family, his village, the people he had done work for. Joseph probably didn't even think about his lowliness in comparison to someone like Zechariah. Those comparisons where jealousy and envy would have the ability to enter in and distract, and disturb, and tempt. All because he's found the love of his life in of all women, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Most men, when they fall in love, believe their wives to be or perfect. And in Joseph's case, he was right. He probably didn't feel worthy to find such perfection and must have battled internally with himself with thoughts that this was too good to be true, that she and he were going to share a life together and create a family. 
that's probably why when he first hears the news from Mary that she's conceived Jesus by the Holy Spirit, his silence in Scripture is incredibly moving. Unlike Zechariah, we don't hear anything dismissive of or disbelieving. In fact, the more I prayed with Joseph over the years, the more I believe he wasn't filled with doubt in Mary or God. If there were any doubts, it was more with himself. Kind of like, I knew she was too good to be with someone like me. That this was too good to be true. Mary was that special. The lack of Joseph's words at that moment allows us to imagine the wrestling that went in on in, in his heart of hearts. The sadness of what he had imagined for himself evaporating. Maybe even anger at himself for feeling such sadness over his personal plans not coming to fruition. Maybe down on himself that those feelings could be selfish. Because Joseph loved and loves Mary. And Mary loves Joseph and they both love God. Which ultimately is the thing that matters the most, the only thing that matters. So trying to put ourselves into that scene, we can imagine the speechlessness at such a sacred moment. One writer beautifully described it this way, that we can imagine the silence as closer to the experience of a man in a foreign land who does not speak the language. He has many things to offer, but no way to put them into words that can be understood. Their hearts had to have been filled with so many emotions. But beyond whatever personal struggles, personal feelings, Joseph keeps coming back to his faith in God. In simplicity and humility, this man's heart is filled with the awesomeness of what God's capable of and wanting to stay in awe of that awesomeness, doing nothing to distract or undermine it. That's why when, when the angel appears to Joseph in a dream, it's even more dramatic. <laughs> because unlike Zechariah or the Blessed Virgin Mary, Joseph didn't have the benefit of having a conversation with an angel for him. For him, it's in a dream. And the fact that St. Matthew in his gospel account of this describes Joseph waking the next morning and simply doing what the angel commanded. We hear more about his faith, his trust in God, than if he ever said a word. It's one thing to say we believe and that we trust. You can be a priest, Jewish or Catholic for that matter, know many sacred things and be surrounded by many sacred settings, but ultimately the best sermons are the ones that demonstrate abandoning oneself to God's plan. Or as Joseph's foster father would put it, thy will be done. In St. Joseph, we see a man living those words before Jesus ever spoke them and shared that intimate prayer of the Our Father. Over the years, the more I prayed with this scene, I imagine Joseph didn't even share his plan to divorce Mary quietly with her until much later, almost like confessing to his beloved his embarrassment that the thought had ever even crossed his mind and more blown away by what he was included into, how he was invited to participate even more, to be essential 
to the story of God saving his people. Being a protector, completely self-emptying and selfless, chaste lover to Mary. Sharing the somewhat unimaginable role of parenting God incarnate. This is just one episode in the brief mentions and seeming silence of St. Joseph that we're meant to reflect on. Recognizing that we see in St. Joseph how God operates in unconventional but inaccessible ways. Not to diminish the contributions of the brilliant or the eloquent, the bold and dramatic examples of other saints. But not to limit the potential for God to do some remarkable things and those who are maybe not gifted in those ways. Recognizing that God can and does work in and through the simple, the faithful, the humble, as we find in the witness of the foster father of Jesus, the spouse of the Blessed Virgin Mary, St. Joseph. As we go to to St. Joseph in our prayer, he wants us to share in the silence of our hearts, what's troubling, what's weighing us down, what's disturbing us. The intentions that keep us up at night or reemerge throughout the day. And in that silence, to let him in his silent witness speak to us of the goodness of God, of the faithfulness of God, inviting us to trust in that first and foremost, St. Joseph reminds us that we don't have to do great things to impress God. We already have his attention. And like Joseph, when we in our humility simply come to him and are open to him, God can use us as we are and accomplish with and through us more than we can ever imagine. St. Joseph, pray for us.